0: If you could get into a time machine and travel back to the time of the first century, the time when there were miraculous gifts in the church, which gift would you want? Which gift would you choose? Which gift would you choose to have? Would it be the gift of prophecy? Would it be the gift of receiving direct revelation from God? Would it be the gift of healing? Or the gift to be able to cast demons out of people or to be able to raise the dead? What about the gift of? What about the gift of tongues? What about the gift of tongue speaking? You know, when I read from the book that we read from this morning in our scripture reading, when I read from the book of 1 Corinthians, it appears that out of all of the miraculous spiritual gifts that were among the Christians in that church, the gift of tongue speaking was the most sought after. It was the most desired. For some reason, that was the gift that everybody wanted. In fact, not only did a lot of Christians in Corinth want the gift of tongue speaking, but so do a lot of people also who claim to be Christians in our time today. For a lot of people who claim to be Christians in our time today, they'll tell you they too want the gift of tongue speaking. So let me just ask you this morning, what do you know about this gift? What do you know about the gift of tongues? If you want a great example of just how confused many people are when it comes to religion, just listen to what many of them have to say about the gift of tongues. Notice how, like what was going on in Corinth, for a lot of people who claim to be Christians today, they will tell you they'll tell you that they can do that too. They'll tell you that they, too, can can speak in tongues. They will tell you that tongue speaking is something that can still be done. In fact, many of them will tell you that you have to do it. You have to do it if you're going to be saved. You have to do it if you're going to have a relationship with God. You have to do that. If you're going to go to that place that we talked about this morning in our first lesson, if you're going to go to heaven, for a lot of people, they will tell you that you must speak in tongues miraculously. If you are going to be saved, if you're going to be saved, you got to have this extreme emotional experience. You got to work yourself up into a frenzy and start crying and dancing and shouting and doing cartwheels up and down the aisle and just losing complete control over your body. You got to speak a bunch of gibberish. You got to speak a bunch of unintelligible sounds that cannot be understood by anyone. It's not uh, actual human language. It's not a language that I can understand or that that you could understand. Instead, this is a heavenly language that only God and, and the Holy Spirit can understand. You ever heard someone say these kinds of things? about tongue speaking before. I've heard people say these kinds of things many times and since this subject continues to generate a lot of confusion and controversy in the religious world, and since I've received some questions from some of our folks here over the past couple of months regarding this subject, if you don't mind in this study, I wanna talk with you about it, okay? If you don't mind this morning in our study from God's word, I want to give you some fast facts. I want to give you some fast facts about the gift of tongues. I want to give you some fast facts concerning some things that the Bible clearly teaches about tongue speaking. I want to ask you to go home today. I want to ask you to jot these fast facts down on a note card. Tuck that note card away somewhere in your Bible and be ready just to pull it out and use it. Whenever you find yourself having conversations with friends or neighbors or co-workers in regards to this issue, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about the gift of tongues? Well, one of the things the Bible tells us about the gift of tongues is, number one, the scripture tells us that the gift of tongues was a miraculous spiritual gift. It was a miraculous spiritual gift that was performed and exercised by Christians 2,000 years ago living in the first century. There is no doubt about that. The Bible is very clear about that. Go in your Bible, please, to the book of Romans. I want to ask you to go in your Bible to Romans, the 12th chapter, please. In Romans, the 12th chapter. Beginning with verse number four, we're gonna have a lot of Bible in this lesson, so it would serve us all well to make sure we have a copy of the Bible in front of us, paper, Bible, digital, whatever you have, get the Bible out. Let's read what the Bible has to say today. In Romans, the 12th chapter, after the Apostle Paul describes the church as a body that is made up of many individual members, in verse number six, he talks about how those members have gifts. And he says in Romans 12 and verse number six, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, if prophecy according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving or he who teaches in his teaching or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, Notice how in these verses, Paul talks about he talks about gifts in the church. He gives us a list of gifts in the church here. He gives a list of non-miraculous gifts and miraculous gifts. Now, in the case of the non-miraculous gifts he mentions here, we've already seen many of our brothers exercise these gifts today, even during this worship assembly. We've seen brothers here offer service, verse 7, and teaching and exhortation and leading us and showing mercy. Those are the non-miraculous gifts that are in the church. But not only does he mention non-miraculous gifts at the beginning or towards the end of verse number 6, he also mentions a miraculous gift. You see that? The one miraculous gift that he mentions here is the gift of prophecy. There was prophecy going on in the church when Paul wrote this letter. In fact, the church in Corinth, the main church we're going to be considering this morning, there were Christians in that church who had that gift. And so will you go in your Bible, please, to 1 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You may want to put your Bible marker in 1 Corinthians because we're going to be going in and out of chapters 12, 13, and 14 for the remainder of this study. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning with verse number 1, After Paul spent some time talking with these Christians about how to properly partake of the Lord's Supper, because they were abusing it, in chapter 12 and verse 1, he says, Now concerning, so he's talking about something else here, he's transitioning here. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Drop down to verse number 7. In verse 7 he says, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the spirit and to another, the word of knowledge, according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit and to another gifts of healing by the one spirit and to another, the effecting of miracles and to the uh, another prophecy and to another, the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues and to another, the interpretation of tongues. So notice there how in addition in addition to having none miraculous gifts in this local church, this local church, Paul says, also had. Also had miraculous gifts. It also had Christians who could do supernatural things. They could do things that superseded natural law. Paul says they could heal people. They could heal people just like that, just like Jesus did. They could prophesy. They could foretell the future by the power of the Holy Spirit. They could cast demons out of people. They could even speak in tongues and interpret those tongues. Paul says that the gift of tongue speaking, like prophecy and healing, was a miraculous spiritual gift, and like all the other miraculous spiritual gifts, we need to understand that the gift of tongue speaking was miraculously imparted. It was miraculously imparted. Now, when we say that the gift of tongues was miraculously imparted, what we mean is if you were a Christian living 2,000 years ago in the first century and you wanted the ability to speak in tongues or prophesy or heal, then those gifts would have to be given to you. You couldn't get any of those gifts on your own. When it comes to tongue speaking, in the case of the apostles and the first Gentile converts of the New Testament, they received that miraculous gift through the direct outpouring of the Holy Spirit's power. You may have heard that be called the Holy Spirit baptism. That's exactly what you find happening in Acts 2. In the case of the apostles, having the Holy Spirit's power be poured out directly upon them is also what happened in the case of Cornelius and his household in Acts chapter 10. In both of those cases, Acts 2 and Acts 10, the giving of tongues directly by the Holy Spirit served as a sign from heaven that salvation was now made available because of the sacrifice of Jesus. Salvation is available to the Jews, Acts 2. Salvation is available to the Gentiles, Acts chapter 10. Two times in the New Testament, people received the ability to speak in tongues through the direct outpouring of the Holy Spirit's power. But the more common way, the more common way the gift of tongues was miraculously imparted in the New Testament in the first century was through the laying on of hands by the apostles. If you want the ability to speak in tongues, then an apostle will have to lay his hands on you and transfer that gift to you. Go in your Bible to Acts, the 19th chapter, please. And Acts, the 19th chapter. And we're looking at verse number five and Acts 19 and verse five. The apostle Paul comes across some men in the city of Ephesus who had never been baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. They had experienced John's baptism, but John's baptism was no longer in force at this time. And so after hearing about the need to be baptized into Jesus Christ, the Bible says in Acts 19, and verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. There were in all about 12 men. Notice how these 12 men who became disciples of Jesus by being baptized, they did not receive the miraculous gift of tongue speaking until after the apostle Paul laid his hands on them. Paul laid his hands on them and then. They got the ability to speak in tongues. This goes perfectly with what Paul told the Roman church. In Romans chapter 1 and verse number 11, Paul told the brethren in Rome, For I long to see you, so that I may impart, notice, impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. Notice how, unlike the church in Corinth, this church, this church in Rome, did not have miraculous spiritual gifts. They did not have those gifts when Paul wrote them this letter. They did not have prophets. They did not have tongue speakers. None of those kinds of people were among them at this time. And Paul says, I want to come see you. I want to come see you, brethren, in Rome, so that I can impart, lay my hands on you. And give you the ability to do spiritual gifts, miraculous spiritual gifts. The Bible says tongue speaking was a miraculous gift. That was miraculously imparted by the apostles through the laying on of hands to other Christians. But we need to understand that even though the apostles gave other Christians the ability to do this, not every Christian in the first century had this gift. Not every Christian in the first century had the ability to speak in tongues. Go back to 1 Corinthians the 12th chapter. In 1 Corinthians the 12th chapter, and we pick up the reading. We pick up the reading with verse number 11. After Paul gives a list of the miraculous gifts in verse 10, he says in verse 11, but one and the same Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually, just as He wills. I began the lesson by asking you if you could get into a time machine and go back to the time of the first century, which miraculous gift would you want to have? Which gift would you choose to possess? That was really an unfair question to ask you because notice how when he even came to the Christians who did have miraculous gifts 2,000 years ago, Paul says that they couldn't choose which gift to possess. They could just get any gift they desired. According to Paul, it was the Holy Spirit who made that choice for them. The Holy Spirit decided who was going to prophesy. The Holy Spirit decided who was going to heal and who was going to cast out demons and even who was going to speak in tongues. Not every Christian in the first century could speak in tongues and those who were chosen by the Holy Spirit to speak in tongues We need to understand that they're speaking in tongues involved speaking actual languages. Speaking actual languages, not a bunch of gibberish. Not a bunch of unintelligible sounds, not a bunch of words. The only God and the Holy Spirit and those in heaven could understand. No Bible tongue speaking involved the tongue speaker speaking an actual language. The people who heard the tongue speaker could understand what they were saying. Go in your Bible, please, to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. We made reference to Acts 2 earlier, but now we're going to read it. In Acts 2, after Jesus goes to heaven to be with his father, and after he sends his apostles to Jerusalem to wait for the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 and verse number 1. In verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had come, they, and the they there when you follow the context back up, is the apostles. That's the they there all the way through this. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire or like fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they, again the apostles, were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language or his own tongue they were amazed and astonished saying why are not all of these who are speaking galileans how is it that we each hear them in our own language or tongue to which we were born now in verses 9 and 10 Luke goes on to give us a list of the different kinds of Jews who were gathered in Jerusalem on this occasion. They were coming from all over the world to Jerusalem. And then in verse 11, these people said in verse 11, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. Notice how when it came to these Jews who were gathered in Jerusalem and observed the apostles, speak in tongues, the scripture says that they could understand them. They could understand what the apostles were saying as they spoke in tongues. They could understand what they were saying because the apostles were not speaking a bunch of gibberish. Instead, they were speaking actual languages from the countries that these people had come from. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, these uneducated fishermen from Galilee were speaking foreign languages that they had never formally been taught. To put this in perspective, it' would be like if somebody in our worship assembly here stood up and all of a sudden started speaking German, and they had never formally ever been taught German before. Or they started speaking Italian or French or Spanish. And they had never formally been taught those languages before. That is what Bible tongue speaking involved. Bible tongue speaking was not gibberish and a bunch of words that nobody could understand. It involved speaking actual languages miraculously without having to go to school to learn those languages. Maybe this explains why the gift of tongue speaking was not generally practiced in assemblies where people did not know the language. Go in your Bible back to 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter. We go back to 1 Corinthians 14, and in verse number 27, as Paul talks to this church in Corinth, in 1 Corinthians, the 14th chapter, and in verse number 27, he says to them, verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three, and each in turn, and one must interpret. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. What is Paul saying there in those verses? Well, simply put there in those verses, Paul is saying that if people in the worship assemblies in Corinth could not understand a tongue speaker when they stood up and started speaking in the assembly, then that tongue speaker needed to be quiet. That that tongue speaker needed to sit down and keep his mouth shut. He needed to do that because nobody was receiving any benefit from the exercising of his gift. They couldn't understand what he was saying, and that's why an interpreter, Paul says, needed to be present. You see, without an interpreter there, To confirm that an actual language was being spoken by the tongue speaker, confusion was going to be in the church. Chaos was going to be in the church. Nobody was going to be able to understand what that person was saying. It was going to look exactly like these charismatic worship assemblies that you find going on today. It was going to be an utter mess. And so tongue-speaking was not generally practiced in assemblies where the people did not know the actual language. And the gift of tongue-speaking, we need to point out, was actually primarily designed to benefit not so much believers in the church, but rather unbelievers, people in the world, people who are not Christians. Are you still in 1 Corinthians 14? Look at verse 22. In verse number 22, Paul says, So then tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophecy is is for a sign, not to unbelievers, but those who believe. This goes perfectly with what Jesus said in Mark the 16th chapter. When you go in your Bibles to Mark the 16th chapter, and I want you to appreciate with me what Jesus said, as he gives the Great Commission, please. In Mark the 16th chapter, after Jesus told his people to go out into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, in verse number 17 it says these signs, these miraculous signs, that's the idea there, will accompany those who have believed. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then when the Lord Jesus has spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they, the disciples, went out and preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. What is the common idea being expressed in both of these passages we just read? Well, the common idea of being expressed in both of those passages is spiritual gifts, miraculous spiritual gifts like tongue speaking, was designed to be a sign to unbelievers. It was designed to be evidence that confirmed that the tongue speaker was actually speaking a message from God. Remember, that is exactly what the gift of tongue speaking did to those thousands of Jews who were gathered in Jerusalem in Acts 2. Remember back in Acts chapter 2, once those Jews who were gathered there heard the apostles all of a sudden start speaking in foreign languages they had never formerly been taught, they knew God was at work. They knew something miraculous was taking place. They knew that God has something to say through these men. The gift of tongues in the first century was designed to benefit unbelievers. It was designed to be a miraculous piece of evidence that confirmed that a messenger was coming from God. In fact, this brings us to one more thing we need to say about tongue speaking and this part of our lesson, and that is the gift of tongues could be controlled. It could be controlled by the person who was blessed to have the gift. And that's not what a lot of people believe today, but that is exactly what the Bible says. And so go back to 1 Corinthians 14 again. We're going back to 14 and we're looking at verse 27 again. 1 Corinthians 14, 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three and each in turn and one must interpret it. But if there is no interpreter, he must keep silent and let him speak to himself and to God. Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others pass judgment. But if a revelation is made to, any, to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent. For you all can prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And the spirits of the prophets are subject are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. One of the ways in which we know that the point here on our slide is true is because according to Paul, the tongue speakers in the first century were commanded by God, they were required by God to speak one at a time. One at a time. Paul says it didn't matter how many Christians in that church possessed the gift of tongue speaking, there were to be no more than two or three of them speaking in tongues, and those people needed to have an interpreter present. Paul says without an interpreter who could verify what was being said, the tongue speaker needed to be quiet. The tongue speaker could not exercise their gift. They could not exercise their gift because that would cause unbelievers who visited their worship assembly to be confused. And it would hinder them from building up each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, these are just seven, just seven fast facts about tongue speaking. There are many other things we could put on this list, but... I know we can't be here all day. We got to go home at some point. What we do need to do now is transition and answer a more important question. And that question is this. That question is, so what? So what? Okay. we know some things about tongue speaking. We know some things the Bible has to say about this miraculous spiritual gift. But how is that going to help me? How is that going to help me serve God? What what good is that going to do me beyond make me a little bit smarter? Why did Paul spend three chapters in 1 Corinthians talking with the Corinthians about tongue speaking? (coughs) What was Paul's message to the Corinthians in regards to tongue speaking? But very quickly, let me give you three reasons. Three reasons why Paul spent three chapters in 1 Corinthians talking with these Christians about tongue speaking. First, the first reason why Paul spoke with these early Christians about tongue speaking was because he was trying to urge them to stop doing something. He was trying to urge them to stop being prideful. Stop being prideful. Stop just thinking about yourself. Stop being in competition with each other over Your miraculous spiritual gifts. That's why Paul is even bringing this up in 1 Corinthians. And so go in your Bible back to 1 Corinthians and look at chapter 12, please. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 14, after Paul talked about how the Holy Spirit was the one who decided who got whichever miraculous spiritual gift. In verse number 12, Paul goes on to say, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, where the Jews are Greeks, where the slaves are free, we were all made to drink of the one Spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. Why is the Apostle Paul having to tell them that? Why is the Apostle Paul having to tell them something so elementary? Why is he having to tell them that they are one body in Christ? Well, the reason why Paul is having to tell them that is because clearly they have forgotten it. They have forgotten about who they were. They have forgotten about their identity. They have forgotten that they were one body in Christ. They have forgotten the fact that That as a body, they were to be united and not divided. This is one of the key themes in the book of 1 Corinthians, right? You know that. Many of you are familiar with the fact that this church, the Corinthian church, it was a troubled church. It was a church that had miraculous spiritual gifts, but it had all kinds of problems. There were all kinds of problems going on in this church. In fact, in the first four chapters of this book, we learned that at the core of many of their problems, it was division. It was selfishness and a lack of consideration for each other. That is why they were fighting and competing with each other over their favorite preacher. That is why they were suing each other and taking one another to the public courts. That is why they had turned the Lord's Supper into a worldly feast. They were not inviting many of their own brethren to that feast. That is why they were not considering the impact that eating meals, eating meats, I'm sorry, sacrificed to idols would have on the weak. That is why they were in competition over their spiritual gifts. You see, at the foundation, at the foundation of many of the problems found in Corinth was an attitude of selfishness. It was arrogance. It was competition among the members in regards to spiritual gifts. And let me ask you something. Can that same kind of thing happen to us today? Can we as members of the body of Christ today Fall into the same trap that these Christians did. Can a spirit of pride and arrogance and competition over non-miraculous gifts destroy us and hinder us and hinder our work for the Lord? You better believe it can. You better believe it can. You better believe that even today, 2,000 years later, the devil can use arrogance... And pride and a spirit of competition to divide preachers and song leaders and Bible class teachers and even church leaders, even elders and deacons. Even today, the devil can infiltrate our hearts and he can consume us with wanting to show off. And build up our egos, and he can cause us to lose focus over why God gave us our gifts in the first place. That is exactly what happened to the Christians in Corinth. They had lost focus on why God gave them their gifts, and that's why Paul had to urge them over and over again to seek to edify. You need to seek to edify. Go back to chapter 14. Did you notice that in the scripture reading this morning? 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in the tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for Edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. One who prophesies edifies the church. Now, I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may receive edifying. Drop down with me to verse number 12 In verse 12, Paul says, so also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Look at verse number 19. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others also rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Look at verse 26. Verse 26, what is the outcome then, brethren? When you assemble, each one has a psalm, has a teaching, has a revelation, has a tongue, has an interpretation. Let all, not some, let all things be done for what? Edification. Why are you here this morning? Why are you here this morning? So often Christians will leave a worship assembly and say, I didn't get anything out of that today. Oh, I didn't get anything out of that. Did you come here merely to get something out of this? Did you come here to be entertained by the men up here leading us in our worship? Did you come here just to get a good feeling or just so you can check off the worship box on your list of spiritual things you got to do? Is that why you came here? If so, listen to what Paul is saying. Listen to what he's saying redirect, re-engineer your thinking, strip yourself of that selfish spirit. Understand that while there's nothing wrong with you wanting to get some out of this and have a good feeling in your heart while you worship God, while there's nothing wrong with that kind of stuff, the primary reasons why you need to be here in that pew is to, number one, worship God so God can get some out of this to worship him, to glorify him, and secondly, to build up the person in front of you, next to you, and behind you. Build up your brothers and sisters in Christ. Build up your spiritual family. That's what Paul means when he used the word edify. That word edify that Paul uses over and over again is a key word in this unit. It is a word that shows us that worship isn't just about us. And it isn't just about us and God and us even worshiping God. It's also about our our spiritual family. It's also about brothers and sisters in Christ. It's also about coming through those doors each and every Lord's Day with an attitude that says, what can I do to build up my spiritual family? What can I do to encourage them? What can I do to serve them? What can I do to build them up? How can I use my gift, whatever it is, to encourage my brothers and sisters and help draw them closer to God? That's what Paul is saying. You see, the Corinthians, they got so absorbed in getting spiritual gifts, miraculous gifts and exercising their gifts that they had lost focus on those kinds of questions. They had lost focus on why God had given them gifts in the first place. And so Paul had to remind them to stop being prideful and to seek to edify. And then finally, he also reminded them that when it came to these miraculous gifts like tongues, well, one day they were going to cease. They were going to cease. One more place in the Bible, please. First Corinthians 13. I got to take you to 1 Corinthians 13. And in verse number 8, after Paul gives a great definition of love and the kind of love we need to have for each other as brothers and sisters, in verses 4 down to verse 7, in verse 8 he says, Love never fails, but if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away, for we know, get revelation in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes then the partial will be done away. Look carefully at verse 8, please. Look at verse 8. In verse number 8, Paul told the Corinthians that there was going to come a day when miraculous gifts like prophecy and tongue speaking were going to cease. They were going to be done away. They were going to end. Where were they going to end? Well, according to verse 9, Paul tells the Corinthians that during their time, 2,000 years ago, when it came to getting revelation from God, they were only getting partial revelation. During that time, God's word was being revealed through his spokesman in part. They were getting partial revelation, but there was gonna come a day when all the parts were gonna to come together. All the parts were gonna be assembled. God's word was gonna be perfect and complete. And fully revealed when that day came Paul says that the miraculous signs that were needed to confirm the message and edify the brethren they were gonna be done away they were gonna cease they would have served their purpose and so what does that mean practically well practically that means that once the last book of the Bible was completed once the book of Revelation was completed Miraculous gifts like tongue speaking stopped. They stopped. Nobody is doing that today. No apostles are alive to impart those gifts. In fact, we as Christians today have something better. We have that book You have in your hand this morning. We have the complete Bible. We have perfect revelation. We have all of God's word. God's word is all we need to know God and how to worship God, and how to live for God and be saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. We don't have the miracle of tongue speaking in the church. We got some better. We got the Bible and all the Bible. In fact, I submit that tongue speaking has never been required for a person's salvation. Remember in Acts 2 and verse 38, after those Jews saw the apostles miraculously speak in tongues and they heard this great sermon about Jesus, they asked Peter, what shall we do to be saved? And Peter didn't say speak in tongues. He said, repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. In the case of Cornelius and his household, the first Gentile converts, after they miraculously started speaking in tongues, Peter didn't say, well, they're saved now, they're good, they don't have to do anything else. No, Peter saw them speaking in tongues miraculously and said,